the lightning storms this week. Hell no. They were pretty epic, weren't they? We were watching them from our veranda and Ryan and Ev were over for dinner. And um, every time we live in Milton, we were looking south over the hills and it was just pretty spectacular. And every time there was a big fork lightning strike, Ryan would say, oh, someone's dead. Oh, someone's dead. Every time there was a... And Zeke, our nine-year-old son, was watching with us. And I was noticing he started to look really scared. He's like, is that lightning coming to us, do you think? Like, is it coming this way? I'm like, oh, yeah, it's moving this way. Might go out to see a bit. And then I realised he'd been listening to Ryan saying, that person's dead, that person's dead. I'm like, he's joking, you don't have to worry about that. And then um, Josh is like, oh, there's a, a lightning warning for Batemans Bay. And Zeke's like, what does that mean? And Josh is like, you have to get down and go, go, go. And, and Zeke's like, oh, really? And then um, I said to Zeke, what do you think get down and go, go, go means? And he's like, I guess we have to like get down and commando crawl on the ground. And I was like, no, they're both pulling your legs. Anyway, poor Zeke. Um, was led astray by Josh and <laughs> Ryan. Come up, Josh is a joker, but he's also got a lot of wisdom and are looking forward to hearing from him this morning as he shares a word on obedience. And I just love how Josh, he always presents Jesus so beautifully. And yeah, let's be expected this morning for the word. Thanks, son. Well, thanks, Sarah. How cool was that lightning storm? It was, it was awesome. It's... <laughs> Where we were looking from our veranda, we faced south, so and you could see it everywhere, and um, like we can kind of see exactly where Larry and Leanne live, and yeah, they were the people who were dying. <laughs> there goes Laz. Uh, he's still here, so praise God. I think the f- yeah, and lightning never strikes twice; it struck several times in the same spot. It was um, yeah, it was awesome to see. Um, cool. Who was here last week? We all heard, who was here, heard James's, he's out at Crash actually, sermon. Um, it was an awesome message, um, just about his journey of um, the last year or, or so in his life, and um, I just think he presented it really well and um, was encouraging. If you didn't hear it, have a listen on SoundCloud, you'll enjoy it. Um, but just to quickly recap, James had three points in his message, it was one, about taking big steps of faith, two, holding on the, onto the promise, even if the Lord goes quiet, and how often do we step out? in faith and there's that season of just like god where are you like and you have to hold on to what he said in the past look back to that promise he's given you um and then a process his, his third point was a process in motion is not a process completed don't rush through a difficult season without questioning what god truly wants to get out of it and who knows in those tough seasons in those seasons we don't hear god in those seasons that when we step out in faith there's and and there's a lesson to learn throughout all that and often we want to rush through it and get through it and get to the other side and, and where it's all happy and all that again. But we often learn the most in those seasons and, and our trust in God. Like God, we can't really trust in God unless we're actually in a season where we have to trust in, in God. So um, don't rush them away. But I want to continue on from James's first um, point, um, big steps of faith. Um, it also can be known as trust and also can be known as obedience. So I want to talk about that obedience. Um, and, you know, I think obedience is, is such an important thing that we continually need to learn to do, um, to grow in. And, and as, we alert, as we learn to take those steps of faith, as we learn to obey God, the more things will open up in our lives, the more that he can trust us in. Um, so... Well, um, from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible has a lot to say about obedience. We can... S- we can see the importance of the concept of obedience in the um, story of the Ten Commandments. 
Um, Deuteronomy 11:26 to 28 sums it up like this. Obey and you'll be blessed. Disobey and you'll be cursed. The New Testament, we learn from the example of Jesus Christ that believers are called to a life of obedience. Um, so according to Holman's Illustrated Bible Dictionary, a, oh, what's that word? a succinct, yeah, like sufficient, that's not right. A succinct definition of biblical obedience is to hear God's word and act accordingly. Um, and Erdman's Bible, I don't know how you pronounce double E, but Erdman's Bible Dictionary states, True hearing or obedience involves the physical hearing that inspires the hearer and a belief or trust that in turn motivates the hearer to act in accordance with the speaker's desires. Thus, biblical obedience to God means to hear, trust, submit, and surrender to God and his word. So as a, as a parent of young children, I know the importance of teaching my kids what it is to be able to obey, obey my commands. And it's, and it's not so I can just have little minions running around and doing what I want them to do. That's just an added bonus. And that, like, you know, to clean up after me and all that. Um, that's, that's just the bonus of all that. But it's, it's actually preparing them for life, teaching the kids to obey my word. You know, um, kids don't have the perspective due to height. Um, but we have. So when they go between cars to run out on the road, and that, if they don't know what it is to obey their voice, obey my voice or Sarah's voice or, or whatever, they, the consequences are pretty bad, aren't they? <laughs> like, so there's those times when you say, Zeke, stop! And he stops, and then the car goes flying past. Or, you know, those, those moments. So that, there's that importance for me and Sarah to teach our kids what it is to obey our voice. And it's also that importance to when... When we say jump off it, our kids love jumping off things. Like the higher the better, um, into water, whatever. They always try to jump off things. And um, there's certain times when we say no, like that's probably stupid. And there's certain times like we kind of like, yeah, do that. That's, that's going to encourage them into jumping off those things. And I know further down in life there's going to be situations that come up in their life where, where they're going to have to trust us. And like maybe don't go down that path. It's not a not a great idea or, yeah, let's come on. I can see this is good for you. Have a go and encourage them. And, and because they've learnt to trust us in the past with those little things, they'll learn to trust us with the bigger things. And it's, it's like that with God. The, the little things that he, um, the little commands that he gives, the little positions that he gives us to trust in him, to step out in faith in him, um, the more he'll give to us and the bigger and the more we're able to, to rely on him in the bigger things. Cool. So for me, when it comes to obeying God, um, I'm probably not the best at it, and it gen- genuinely can be the hard, one of the hardest things to do because I know it's often taking me out of my comfort zone, um, stepping into the unknown and that. Even those little things like go and talk to that person or, or go and pray for that person and that. Like what happens if it doesn't work? What happens if I look like an idiot? What happens if I get judged? All those things. Or go and, go and bless that person or go and do this with that person and you're kind of like, I don't have time for this and that. But it, it's often just one of those hardest things. But as I've learnt to trust in God in that, I've seen the fruit from that and it's, yeah, I don't know why. I kind of always find it hard, but I do. Um, so today I want to focus on that, that um, like how do we overcome those moments when God's just called us to do something and fear gets in our way or, or whatever gets in our way from actually stepping out and into what God has for us. Because um, I know it's, it's an amazing, when we do it, it's going to be amazing and, and God's going to teach us heaps and, and all of that. But there's always that, 
that moment of fear that when something new is coming up, like, can I do this? How do I do this? Do I have the faith? Do I have the trust in God to do this? And, you know, God always wants the best for us. So, um, but yeah, so I want to do this for the best example I know how to do it, talk about is through the life of Jesus. Like I said earlier, Jesus shows us how to obey God's voice. So I'm going to read it out of a passage of <coughs> scripture um, through the, um, what's it called? Um, Gethsemane, the, the moment when God, Jesus goes to Gethsemane and prays and then um, so you can find that in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Um, but I'm going to read it from the Matthew version today. So Matthew 26, 36 to 46 is coming. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he t- fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this t- cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch for me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray that you, may not, that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it. May your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away one more time, one more, and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. I've, I love this section of scripture because I get heaps out of it, and I think there's such keys here for us to know what it is to to do when we're in those moments of God. I don't know if I can do this. I want to obey you, but I know it's it's going to be hard, and and all of that. And the first, so I want to pick up four points from this. The first one is. The key to overcoming this fear is through the power of prayer. What does Jesus do? He goes to that place of Gethsemane. If you read a little further on, um, when Judas comes to betray him and all that, he, Judas knew where he was because he was in this place where he regularly met. He went to his regular place of prayer and prayed. But he didn't just pray once. He prayed and then he still was unsettled. So what did he do? He prayed again. He was still unsettled, so he prayed a third time, and then the peace came. And, and the first point I want to get out of this is that when you're going through a big decision, prayer is key. But prayer isn't just key to pray once, like Sarah said before. We pray, and then we pray. If Jesus needed to pray three times, the Son of God, like how many times may we need to pray to get past it and continue to pray while we're walking through it? So the first point is prayer. Um, and, you know, Jesus was anxious in this moment. He was overwhelmed and, and, and there was this, I guess you can nearly call it fear. I don't know if Jesus gets fearful, but um, he was anxious and he was overwhelmed. And he's like, God, take this cup from me, but it's your will. Take this cup from me, but it's your will. And, you know, in, um, you know, in Luke 22, verse 44, in the same bit of scripture, it says, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground you know he was sweat, sweaty you either get sweaty from exercise you're unhealthy or when you're in an anxious moment when when you sweat he was sweating drops of blood and that um so he was like 
oh, man, this is big. And, like, he would have known what was coming. Often we don't know what's coming. But Jesus knew that what he was going to go through, he was literally going to go through a week of hell. You know, beaten, spat on, called names, wrongly accused, all that sort of stuff. And then, yet, yeah, I was thinking about this when I was preparing it. That might have been a walk in the park for Jesus compared to what he had to do when he went down to hell. Like, I'd never thought about that, but he had to go and wrestle for the keys in hell. Who knows what that little part was like. But he knew what was coming. So he had this right to be anxious. He had this right to be um, fearful or whatever. But what, what did he do? He prayed and gave it to God. He prayed and he gave it to God. He prayed and gave it to God. And sometimes it's okay to be fearful. Sometimes it's okay to be anxious. But the key is not to let it take root, but the key is to give it to God and allow him to change the situation and allow him to bring peace to that. Philippians 4, 6, verse 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which will transcend all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so that's the key, prayer. If you want, you want to find peace in the situation, Pray. And I love, I love at the end, of, um, the end of that bit of passage in verse 45, 46. What? 45, 46. There we go. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So Jesus has gone from sweating drops of blood, anxious, God, take this away from me. I don't want it, but if it's your will, I'll do it. So then just, uh, he kind of just says it casually, come on, I'm about to get betrayed, I'm about to go through the week of hell, let's, let's go. Like, and, and, this, and you can see this peace that has come over Jesus in that moment, and I, I just love it, that it's just so casual. Um, the second point I want to bring out is, not that they were very good at it, but bring people along the journey with you in, this, in those moments. Make sure you have the right people around you. Obviously the disciples fell asleep and they were really good at that. But Jesus still brought... You know, his disciples, he's, he's 11 to, to the garden to pray with him. And he took those three closest to him and said, come on, let's go up here. And, and it says that Jesus just went a stone's throw away from them. And let's pray and let's, let's have, um, you know, have my back in this moment. Have this moment when I'm, when I'm seeking what's next, when I'm fearful of what I've got to do. Get the right people around you who are going to pray for you, who are going to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. And, and, and allow those people. I remember this one time in my life, it was one of the, I guess, hardest times in my life. Um, and I got, a, I got a message during this hard time. They couldn't come. But this mate messaged me and said, I'm just around the corner praying for you. He drove the distance he had to drive and stood around the corner from where I was in a situation that I had to handle on my own. But I'm just around the corner praying for you. And that just brought such comfort and such peace and strength to me that I was able to get through it because I knew I had a brother there praying for me in that moment. So bring people along for the journey with you. It's so important. Um, the third point is don't always look for an easy way out. Uh, who looks for an easy way out in situations? Um, first, yeah, guaranteed I would have been looking for anything. So Jesus in the, um, goes away, prays for the third time, comes back, they're still asleep. He knew his accusers were coming to to um, arrest him and all that. and that. So he knew they were coming. They were asleep. He's like, right, they're asleep. They're coming. Maybe I've got a good opportunity to go where no one will find me. Jesus knew the landscape pretty well. He was one, he was a local, and two, he created it. So he would have been able to knew that little back path. He would have been able to cross the lake pretty easy. He can walk on water. 
probably go over to the cemetery where he, um, you know, delivered the guy from the evil spirits and that he wouldn't have dobbed him in because, you know, he did him a solid. And, and been over the hiding within the cemetery and had a cup of tea and watched some crazy pigs jump off a cliff. Like, he had, he had this moment to be able to go and, and flee if he wanted to and that. But no, nah, he woke up his disciples and said, come on, let's go. Let's go and face my thing. So don't let look for a way out as an excuse. And I'll, I'm going to give another excuse in a moment that he could have taken, um, which definitely I would have taken. Um, so I'm going to continue the story from Matthew 26, 41 to 56. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit, where am I reading from? All right, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second. No, sorry. Um, where am I reading from? When he's getting arrested. Is that it? All right. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd, and armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them: the one I kiss is the man. Is the man arrest him? Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, "Greetings, Rabbi," and kissed him. Jesus replied, "Do what you come for, friend." Then the man stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus's companions reached out for his sword drew it out and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Oh, that'll do. Cool, thanks, friends. So the first question is, who's the person who cut off? We always call it Peter who cut off the guy's ear. How do we know it's Peter? Because this said a companion. So in Matthew... In this story, it talks about a companion cut off Jesus' ear. If you read the story in the book of Mark, it's a friend who cut off his ear, right? If you read it in the book of Luke, it's a disciple who cut off his ear. So how do we know it was Peter? Because in the book of John, it says Peter did it, right? So John, John's, John's probably there, and he's looked what Matthew's writing down. He's like, he's saying it's a companion. So who, that could be any of us. And then Mark said it's a friend. That still could be any of us. And then Luke writes a disciple. So John's like, That's, I could get blamed for this. I could get blamed. So then he's like, Peter did it. It was Peter. All right? So that's how we know who did it. It was Peter. All right? So we got that? Cool. And the second question is, how did Peter get away with cutting off his ear? You don't hear about Peter getting arrested. Like, he cut off a bloke's ear. Like, yeah, yeah, but there was no commotion. How did he get, how did he get away with it? Like, what type of world are they living in where you can just go and cut people's ears off and that like solve a lot of problems um so i'll I'll explain how and why he got away with it all right i'll do my best okay so in that time you notice in um in that bit of scripture judas came and and said greetings rabbi he calls him rabbi right so back in that day there was a tension between rabbi and the and the priests all right so the bloke who came, if we read it in the version in John, who came to arrest Jesus was a bloke called Malachus, who was next in line to be the high priest. All right, so he's a servant of the high priest, it says in John. He was next in line to be the high priest, history tells us. Um, so there was this tension between rabbis and priests. So to be a rabbi, what you had to do to become a rabbi is do 24 years of study, which is a lot, 
and that. 13 years of school was hard enough. Um, but he had to do 24 years of, of um, study. So Jesus would have had to start studying when he was 33. He would have had to start studying when he was six years old. Yeah? Is my math correct? Because he started his ministry at 30. Six. Yeah, yeah, 30, 30 minus 24 is six. Good math. He, yeah, but he started when he was 30. Yeah. So he would have been six years old. So, so for me, I've got to get my kids to pull their finger out and get them studying. Um, but so, so to become a rabbi, you had to do that. And the rabbi in the Bible, rabbis are only mentioned three, no, not rabbis are only mentioned, there's only three mentions of a rabbi in the Bible. There was Paul, Jesus, and I don't know how to say this, Gamaliel, or something like that. See? That by C. Lynn, if you don't know who he is, um, she'll explain all about him. But there, was these, so, but there was priests mentioned throughout. So to become a priest in the, in the Bible in those times, all you had to do was be born into it. So, so the rabbis had to earn it, and the priests were born with a silver spoon. Um, so, they had, so there's this tension between rabbis and priests. So, but what happens if we had an evil, evil priest? What happens if we had a, a corrupt priest? So the good priest gave birth to an evil priest. What did they have to do? So they went back to the Levitical law to, um, to find a way to be able to get rid of evil priests. So we're going to pick it up in Leviticus 21.17. Who's excited to read from Leviticus? It's an exciting book. Um, Speak to Aaron saying, None of your offspring throughout their generation who has a blemish may approach to offer the bread of his God. For no one who has a blemish shall draw near, a man blind or lame, or one who has mutilated faces or a limb too long, or a man who has an injured foot or an injured hand, or a hunchback or a dwarf or a man with a defect on his sight or an itching disease or scabs or crushed testicles. All right? So I bet you weren't thinking you are coming to hear about crushed testicles. Um, so, these, so if you had any of those things, you're, you were, they got you out of the priesthood. So um, who would want that job to see if they're eligible or not to become a priest? Like, yep, your face looks all right. Yep, your legs are the same length. You're not a dwarf. Show us your testes. <laughs> Who, like, yeah, anyway, well, I don't really hear of crushed testicles too much, but that's the time they lived in, they can cut off ears and have crushed testicles. Um, so, so for that, so that, to get out of the priesthood, that's how they used to do it, right? So um, Peter cutting off this Malachus's ear, what he was actually doing, like, I always kind of thought that he was trying to kill him, you know, but... When you think about it, to hit someone in the ear, it's a lot easier to hit them here or here. Like, the ear's a good shot, isn't it? So what they used to do back in the day, if they wanted to get someone out of the priesthood who was evil, they'll come from behind, they'll pin him down, they'll poke a hole in their ear, cut their ear, which would, um, which would yeah, mutilate their face. But it would, um, what am I trying to say? It wouldn't, like, damage them too much. It would just make a distinct mark on their face that would disqualify them. So this was the easier way. Much easier than getting a couple of bricks and crushing some testicles. Um, you know, like this was the easiest way to do it. All right, I wanted to say that. Um, so, so more to the fact, Peter probably wouldn't have reached over and cut off his ear out of anger. He probably would have came up from behind and just flicked off his ear. And what he was doing is, is saying in this moment was, hey, you might be arresting the true priest, but I'm going to take you away from the priesthood forever. And that, so it was this moment. But what does Jesus do in this moment? 
He places his hands on the man's ear and brings healing to it. So the first thing I want to bring out of that is this is another opportunity for Jesus to get out of this whole thing. He could have easily said, he cut off your ear, rest him, let me go. He could have used that in the commotion of it. I imagine all the guards would have like looked at what was going on and this guy would have been in a little bit of pain. Um, I've never had my ear cut off, but I can imagine it would hurt. Um, so Jesus could have went, right, I'm going. I'm going to that path and running across the lake and hanging with a pig man. Um, or, or he could have said, hey, Malachus, I know, I don't know if you heard this about me, but I'm kind of into the whole healing thing. If I heal your ear, maybe you can let me go and get off. So he had these moments to look for an excuse. But what does Jesus do? Um, where was it in? In Luke. Sorry. In Luke 22, but Jesus answered, no more of this, and he touched the man's ear and healed him. And that. In the moment where Jesus was about to walk into the, the week from hell, he still looked for the opportunities to show grace. He didn't have to heal the man. He could have just still arrested and walked. If, if it was me, I'm the kind of person, if I have to do something and I know I have to do it, like just let me do it as quick as I can. Let it, let it be done with. Get it over and done with as quick as it can. But no, he still looked for that opportunity to show grace in the worst... Oh, I can imagine it would be one of the worst times of your life. And that, like, leading into the worst time, the hardest week that he had on this earth. And that he still looked for the opportunity to show grace. So when we're going through these difficult times, when we're going through these times of decisions of, oh, I want to obey you, God, but it's hard. I want to put my trust in you. I want to step out in faith. There's four key things that we can do to help us through it. We can pray. We can bring people along for the journey who have our back, who are going to stand with us. Don't look to the left or right. Don't look for a way out or an excuse to get out of it. And always look for opportunities to show grace. Sarah's going to come and finish it. Are you? Here's what you said you were going to do. I was just enjoying listening to Josh. How good was that? So good. And I, I, like I said, I just love how Josh just presents Jesus in his heart and just the grace that Jesus showed in that moment of immense pressure. And who knows that when you are obedient to God, you know, sometimes we can be a bit like, yeah, God, I'll do it, but I'm not happy about it and I'll do it begrudgingly and kind of victim like, ugh. But Jesus was like, not my will, but your will. And then he just did it with such grace. And I think that's such a challenge for us when we're feeling the stretch and maybe we're feeling we're having to step out and we're out of our comfort zone to also just be living graciously and extending grace. And I think that's such a beautiful example from Jesus. So I just, um, maybe we'll get the worship team up and we'll sing in just a moment and we'll get Josh to pray for us. I just wanted to share a quick verse from Ecclesiastes um, 11, if you don't mind popping it on in the message. I might skip to <clears throat> verse 9, um, if you don't mind, right? Um, I love what Josh was saying about obedience. And, you know, sometimes we can think of obedience as such a, like a rigid or a bad thing, like good and bad. But I love that it is about trust, as Josh said, and putting our trust in God. And this is what it says in Ecclesiastes 11. You who are young, make the most of your youth, relish your youthful vigor, follow the impulses of your heart. If something looks good to you, pursue it. But know also that not just anything goes. You have to answer to God for every last bit of it. Live footloose and fancy free. You won't be young forever. Youth lasts about as long as smoke. And I just, I love the freedom in this. Like God's kind of saying, just go for it. You know, follow the desires of your heart. 
But don't forget to check in with God along the way. Don't forget that you're going to answer to God for everything that you do. And so I love the freedom, but the wisdom, just in the word here. And just practically, you might be thinking, you know, Joshua said I need to be obedient, but, but what do I need to be obedient to? And James spoke about last week how he heard just that clear guidance from God that he was to go to New Zealand. And it was confirmed through others. But, and obviously Jesus heard clearly from God. He knew what he had to do. But what about when you don't hear that clear voice? What about when there's no clear guidance and you're like, oh, I don't know what God's saying for me? As I said last week, we always go back to the word, not the phone, but the word. We can stand on the word. And do you know, there's actually, and I've said this before, over 1,050 New Testament commands to live by. So when all goes quiet, when you're in those wilderness seasons and you're not hearing from God, you're not sure on direction, we can always go back to the word. And Ryan might just quickly pop that up. Um, I've just got a little thing of like 1,050 New Testament commands. So some of them are be reconciled to a brother, um, be wise, be content, be merciful, be followers of God, be anxious for nothing, etc., etc. So if you're like, I don't know where to start, have a look through the New Testament. There's so many great commands to follow and live by that will lead us in the path of life. Because who knows, Jesus says... That the narrow path, it's not easy, but that's what leads to life. And so often being obedient is not always easy, but it does lead to life. And Josh just gave us, really, tips for staying the path, tips for remaining on that walk of faith, for not straying. And I love everything you shared, prayer, getting good friends around you. And who knows, it says in the Bible that we're to love everyone. But it's a different thing um, when we're talking about those who influence influence us. We're to love everyone, but I think we need to be wise about who we actually let influence us. So great tips from Josh there and to not be making excuses and extending grace. So, so, so good. Let's stand. Josh, you want to pray for us? And I just think there's such a tangible sense of the grace and, and the goodness of God. Cool. Um, if, you, if you do want prayer, if you're in a moment where, you know, life's tough and, and you need those people around you to pray, feel free to come up the front and we'll love to pray for you like that as well. But I'm just going to pray for all of us now. So Father God, we just thank you for the God you are. Lord God, we thank you no matter what's going on in our life, Lord God, no matter where we're at in our life, we thank you that above all those things that you are good. Father God, and, and Lord God, we thank you for the example of your son Jesus. Lord God, that he taught us that when we're in these situations to seek you, Father God, to put around us the people in our lives, Father God, and to always show grace. Father God, so I pray you help each and every one of us to be able to do that, to always seek you first. Lord God, to, to show grace uh, even amongst the hard times. Father God, we just thank you for who you are, Lord God. We thank you for what you've done in our lives, Father God, and what you're doing. But Lord God, we're thankful for what you're going to do in our life in the future. Lord God, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.